The version of the traditional song O Hanukkah you just heard the beginning of was arranged by composer Robert Applebaum. It's the opening track on a new album by Chicago a cappella, album titled Miracle of Miracles, Music for Hanukkah. It's our October 2023 release on CD Records, and those of you who have listened before know whenever we have a new release on CD Records, we have a new Classical Chicago podcast. This is episode number 66. I'm Jim Ginsberg, founder and president of Sadie Records and proud producer of this album. And my guest on this podcast is Chicago Acapella Artistic Director, John William Trotter. Hi, John. Hi. Good to see you. Great to have you here. Before we talk about the album, I'll just give some biographical highlights. First, about Chicago Acapella, which is an ensemble of 10 singers that performs a wide-ranging repertoire of musical styles and genres, ranging from the 9th all the way through the 21st centuries, without a conductor and without instruments. Founded in 1993, the group features a roster of the Chicago area's most accomplished classically trained choral singers and soloists, whose flexible vocal skills and musical adventurousness bring a sense of joy to their performances, to which I can attest as an audience member. Chicago a cappella presents an extensive concert series in Chicago, in the Chicago area, and has made dozens of guest appearances in the U.S. and in Mexico. The ensemble has commissioned new works by many composers, including Chen Yi, Tanya Leon, Stacey Guerra, Paul Crabtree, Rollo Dilworth, and many more. This new album is the group's third for CD Records, following its earlier releases, Shall I Compare Thee, Choral Songs on Shakespeare Texts, and Christmas Acapella, of which this is something of a follow-up, although 15 years later, because that album was released in 2008. As for John William Trotter, my guest on this podcast, the artistic director of Chicago Acapella, he is an acclaimed choral conductor and is Chicago Acapella's second artistic director, having taken over that post in 2020. He previously served as principal music director and guest music director that started in 2013. He's conducted more than a dozen professional choirs and orchestras over three continents and also teaches widely in the areas of music, leadership, and the role of the arts in society. John Trotter is John and Anita Nelson Distinguished Chair of Sacred Choral Music and Conducting at the Whedon College Conservatory of Music here in the Chicago area, and is also widely active as a guest conductor, composer, arranger, educator, and speaker. During the 2019-20 season, Dr. Trotter served as a visiting fellow at the University of Cambridge, and also as a visiting teacher at the Royal College of Music in Stockholm. Quite a globe-trotting life you've had. I have been lucky. Wonderful. 
So as I mentioned, John, you took over the ensemble from its founding artistic director, Jonathan Miller, in 2020, just in time for the global pandemic. What was it like taking over then? Pretty unique. There's a small unofficial cadre of people who took over groups in 2020 who know one another's pain. I had worked with Chicago Acapella before in different capacities, but artistic director is something entirely different. And I remember calling executive director Matt Greenberg from Cambridge, where I was based at the time. And I said to him, you know, if you want me to start later, that's fine, because it was very unclear if groups would survive or be active in any way. But I was wrong about that. We dove right in with a bunch of new things, including the proposal for this, which, of course, had to wait a while because of the pandemic. Yes, actually, this album had been planned a couple years earlier, but we weren't able to record when we had hoped. Among the musicians whose projects were postponed by the pandemic, choirs were the most postponed because those were the hardest to bring back, right? It was brutal. Finding out that what you're doing is illegal is always a bit of a damper. <laughs> In any case, the album finally did come along. As I understand it, the program, at least the choice of the works, came from your predecessor, Jonathan Miller. Can you talk about, between you two, the impetus for creating this album and its Hanukkah theme? Sure. Jonathan has had tentacles in many aspects of Chicago society and the cultural world. And over the years, the group built up quite a repertoire of Jewish music, not all of which has to do with Hanukkah, but much of which did. And at one point, he woke up and said, wow, we actually know a number of composers and a bunch of rep that isn't widely known at all, much of which we've performed and others of which we have in file folders intending to perform it. We could really do this. It wasn't something that was planned as far back as the music began to be learned, but as the music began to accumulate and he got expertise and familiarity, it started coming into focus. And then, as you said, there was quite a break between the germ of that idea and it becoming feasible and then postponed twice, in fact, for COVID. So by the time I came on the scene, the cake was mostly baked in the sense of the track list was set and the intention was on, but we had no place in the season for it and no opportunity to gather even as professional group. Well, in the booklet to the album, there are introductory notes from both Jonathan Miller and from you, and I'll read a little bit from each of them and then ask you to comment. Jonathan Miller writes, why, you might ask, aren't there more albums of Hanukkah music like this? Finding the music is a big part of the challenge. It's hard to locate works that meet all of our criteria. Superb musical craftsmanship, a Hanukkah text, and a setting for a cappella mixed choir. The difficulty has many contributing factors. Culturally, Hanukkah is much more about the home than the synagogue. When we think of Hanukkah, we think of candles, latkes, that's potato pancakes, gifts, time spent with extended family, and maybe folk melodies, but not a choir. And you add to that, John, you say that a glance at the track list for this album makes the Hanukkah project seem uncharacteristically focused for our ensemble. Can you explain what you meant by that? Sure. First of all, let me say that problem of not having a lot of repertoire for a cappella choir is a common problem for Chicago a cappella. We've done performance projects of traditions that didn't know that they were suitable for a cappella choir until we came along and started arranging stuff or asking people to arrange for us or having people, as on the case of this album, appear 
in order to arrange for us and, and offering us music. That's one of the small ways in which we contribute culturally is we've actually been the thin edge of the wedge that helps repertoire get created and then get heard in public. In terms of the focus of this particular album, some of our projects are pretty wide ranging even though they're all thematic. So we did a project about Latin American choral music that had music from nine different countries and a bunch of widely disparate traditions. Or we did, as you mentioned, the program of Shakespeare music. Although the words are all from Shakespeare, their compositions are from all over the place and many, many different styles. And it might appear, if you're looking at this track list in print, that these pieces will all be like one another. But the only thing they have in common is Hanukkah. They're in English and in Hebrew and in Yiddish. There's jazz, there's funk, there's traditional, very legato and mellifluous and atmospheric choral textures. There's very serious, dedicated, sacred sounding music. There are party tunes. It really is remarkably various to the ear. Well, that's a perfect segue into the formal program notes of the album, which are written by Philip Bowman, who is the Ludwig Rosenberger Distinguished Service Professor in Jewish History in the Department of Music at the University of Chicago, and also Artistic Director of New Budapest Orpheum Society, a Jewish cabaret troupe based at the university, which has made three recordings for CD Records. And Philip writes, Hanukkah songs are remarkable for the ways they chronicle Jewish history, especially across the diaspora while at the same time they celebrate the most intimate moments of family holiday in the Jewish home. Historical tales of resistance and survival combine with the moments when Jewish communities become modern. Hanukkah songs are distinctive because they sound ongoing narratives of interaction between the Jewish community and the wider world. They bear witness to the special power of song, providing a foundation for pillars of identity, while also opening doors that welcome exchange. And Philip also notes that, as you just did, John, that the songs come in many languages and often combine them in the same song. And echoing Jonathan Miller's remarks, he emphasizes that Hanukkah is really a feast more than a sacred holiday. Mm. Anything you want to add to that? Well, just that it was amazing and very rich to be in a project that lets you be in all of those cultural modes in the course of one project. Pieces that make you think about sitting around the table with the family, watching the candles burn, feeling that safe and together feeling. Pieces that draw you into that state of awe and historical mindedness and gratitude. Pieces that are expansive or aesthetically challenging. Pieces that are strophic verses and choruses and backbeat and rhythm that you could dance to. To have all of that brought together from one tradition, which of course is related to the diaspora and centuries of history, was just a powerful locus for us to work. Excellent. As we mentioned, the original selection of pieces was put together by Jonathan Miller. And before we had the recording sessions, in January of 2023, you did have a concert in December of 2022, which you organized. The program order for the concert is quite different from what ended up on the album. I'll talk about how the album is organized in a moment, but I'd love you to talk about how you chose to present these works in the concert and what considerations are different for a concert than for an album. Mm -hmm. So if you think about a concert as opposed to an album, in fact, think of it compared to the physical CD with liner notes. The physical CD presents itself to you visually and you can take the liner notes out of the package and you can read about them. And then you can put the recording on 
and it's like having a library that you can flip through. Of course, a live performance is different. You can't go backwards and forwards. You can't choose when it's going to play. <laughs> you can't pause and think about something. And we have the opportunity, if we choose, to be able to speak about the music in between some of the tracks. And so that creates a significant difference. And then you've got the fact that in public performance, with an intermission, you have two halves. So you're starting twice and you're ending twice. And then the second half comments on the first half and the second ending wraps the whole thing up in a different way than the first one does, which should leave you wanting something more. So it's quite a different business. So we have two closings and two openings. And then within the live performance, the first half is more heavily weighted toward the sacred and the second half is more heavily weighted towards the partying. And we also took some of the pieces that have the same or similar words and grouped them differently in the live performance than we did on the CD. Excellent. And it was certainly an effective presentation that way. And then for the album, I thought it would be useful to arrange the tracks in such a way that they would really tell the story of Hanukkah. So they're really grouped into five sections plus a closer. So we have a couple songs that address the holiday itself, then a section for the candles, the menorah, of course, then a section about the miracles, then the more sacred or more religious observance-centered section in the middle, then we get to the food and games, and the dreidel, of course. And then we end with Jonathan Miller's Bime Matiyahu, which is the one similarity with the concert because musically there was no other way to end the program. And with the recording session, because we also ended with that one in the studio. Excellent point. And we'll talk about why it later in this podcast. Let's talk about these different sections. So we've already heard a good chunk of the first piece, the traditional Oh Hanukkah. Right off the bat, a song that's in two languages, both English and Hebrew in this case. And it's the first of many pieces on the album written or arranged, in this case arranged, by composer Robert Applebaum, a longtime friend of Chicago a cappella. Philip Bowman, in his notes, refers to this song as a mashup of Ohanika's popularity. Can you expound on that a little bit? Well, just first let me say that having the two languages in there, for me, as a person who's not Jewish but loves this repertoire, is very welcoming. feels like it's okay to not know from the cradle every word in Hebrew or every word in Yiddish when you have a piece that does some translating for you or has a verse in Hebrew and then a chorus in English. So I'm very pleased that the CD opens that way, just to let everyone know that this CD is for them and they could understand a good bit of what's going on. In terms of the mashup aspect, there's something enlivening about having somebody bring their vernacular or their horizons of musical creation to a topic or repertoire that they love. Parts of this album are a little bit like a museum in the sense that there are very old texts and references to very old melodies and very old traditions, but it's also like a museum in that you're standing right there yourself, having walked in off the street from your actual life. And there's so many musical idioms that are very, very recent in this CD. And the whole idea of a mashup or a pastiche is, of course, a part of that. Well, and the second song on the album, Svivon, is technically a dreidel song, but it's really about the Hanukkah holiday in general. After the first line about the dreidel, it continues. This song is in Hebrew, by the way, and this is an arrangement by Steve Burnett of this traditional song. Hanukkah is a joyous holiday. This happy holiday is for all people. A great miracle happened there. This is a pretty short song, so we'll get to hear it in just a moment. In his notes, Philip says that it takes the standard folk music and infuses it with jazz harmonies and a swing rhythm. And I would say 
This is definitely one of the hit tunes of the album because it really does swing. It really does. Anything you want to say before people hear it? Oh, just that, that if your toe is tapping, it is okay. All right, well, here is Svivon, arrangement by Steve Barnett, as performed by Chicago Acapella on their new Sadie Records album, Miracle of Miracles, Music for Hanukkah. just heard the traditional song Svivon in a very jazzy arrangement by Steve Barnett as sung by Chicago a cappella on their new Sadie Records album, Miracle of Miracles, Music for Hanukkah. And the singers who make up this version of Chicago a cappella on the album are sopranos Caitlin Lee, Kristen Lelm, and Carrie Platchy, mezzo-sopranos Chelsea Lyons and Emily Price, tenors Ace Gangoso and Trevor Mitchell, Baritones Matthew Brennan and Joe Labozetta, and bass John Ordunia. I should ask you, John, where does Chicago a cappella get its singers from? And it's not necessarily the exact same singers for each concert, right? That's true. Yeah, we have a roster that is larger than the 10 singers you normally see on stage at a time, but it's not a huge roster. And the reason for that is that we are a very demanding ensemble. In order to sing with Chicago a cappella, you need to have basically mastered the Western canon and have far broader competency than that. You need to be comfortable with Broadway and jazz and folk and many, many languages. And you need to also be able to stretch beyond what it is you've learned so far. That is, it's not possible for everyone to know everything about every project before we go in. So we have to buckle up and get ready to master something new for each thing that we do together. They are an elite SWAT team of ensemble singers who answer the call for the really challenging stuff. Well, and obviously availability is an important consideration, but were there certain singers that were particularly important to have for this particular album? Well, maybe, but of course I could never answer that question because like asking somebody which of their children is like most necessary to this or that family celebration. One thing to know with 10 singers and as much divisi, that is divided singing as we have on this album, if one singer is missing, we can't perform the way we have performed it. So those of you who have experience in choirs often know you have several people singing a part We occasionally have that, but very often we have one person on each part. So each person has to independently learn at least the notes and often the rhythm and occasionally text that they alone will have in order to bring that all together. 
in a concert, you prepare them, but you're not on stage with them. Exactly. How does your role preparing the choir for a concert differ from your role at recording sessions? Sure. It would be entirely possible to come to a concert of Chicago a cappella and not know that the music director uh, exists at all. And as artistic director, I often function as music director and often I don't. Sometimes we'll hire someone else from our Chicago a cappella family to come in and prepare the music. In this case, I was both artistic director and music director. So being the conductor of an unconducted ensemble mm. is obviously a strange situation. And it's one that I really enjoy. We make it up as we go. The conductor's job is always to give the ensemble everything they need and nothing more. So if you're preparing for a performance that won't have a conductor, then a lot of what the ensemble needs is the opportunity to work things out so that they can lead it on their own. Of course, recording is a pretty uncompromising environment. So we want to bring everything together that we can. And if you were to be a fly on the wall in the studio during the process, you actually would see me up there with the ensemble in a semicircle. So each singer can see each other singer and I can see each singer and each singer can see me. So you would actually see something that looked a lot like conducting going on. It has maybe more in common with lighting a campfire that everyone has gathered around or keeping everything connected. There's value in having someone who's not singing, whose ears are open all the time, who can hear more because they're not singing than they could if they were. And then, of course, there's the fact that there's a producer and there's a recording engineer who aren't in that room and someone needs to translate and communicate. Well, my recollection at the sessions is you would often have them do the first take the way they would do it in concert. And then you'd come up on stage and direct from there, having heard where the issues might be from that first take. Sure. And also, we wanted to keep the tempo steady enough that we would be able to use verse one from this take and verse two from that take as needed. How is it different performing for the microphones versus performing for an audience? Yeah, the microphones don't chuckle as much, or you don't get that hmm when something is really particularly beautiful. You don't get that pregnant pause at the end when the final chord tapers. And the microphones don't miss anything. So you can't paper over any inaccuracy with the power of your personality or with your golden smile. When you said I was able to get up there for the later takes, there are sometimes things to focus on, whether it be tuning or just specific stuff to do with diction or timing or balance, that it's helpful to have somebody there in real time responding to. I should mention the way this was recorded on the stage at the concert hall at Northeastern Illinois University was with two pairs of microphones, one pair more centered and one pair more widely spaced to get the outside singers because the singers were arranged in a pretty much a perfect semicircle. Mm -hmm. That's right. And that does mirror how they would sing in a concert? Yeah, it's very similar, actually. We don't always get the full semicircle live. It's a real luxury to get to do it, to be able to have each person turned in towards each other person. For the listening, it's unbeatable. My recollection is that uh, when we recorded the last two albums, the singer positions changed more than this one. This one, once we decided where people were, they stayed there. Mm -hmm. Well, I wasn't there for the other two, but there were a lot of balance things to finesse. And once we found the orientation of the microphones and the distances that we like, remember that first day, we went back and forth from the booth to the hall, to the booth, to the hall, to the booth, to the hall. Once we had something we liked, I got really excited. And from then on, we decided we would try to manage the balance using the singers and their own technique and aptitude rather than using geography. 
And personally, I think that Bill Malone, the wonderful Sadie Records mm. Grammy-winning engineer, created a perfect combination of clarity and plushness in the final mix. How do that you feel about That is so it? important. Yeah. That was the thing that kept me up the night before that first session. How do you explain exactly what you're looking for? Is the engineer going to take it well? Because everyone has their preferences, right? But after that first session, I was just so, so happy with where we had arrived and they were able to document it and keep it, which was fortunate given that there was about to be a case of COVID. I was just going to mention that. This was January of this year, 2023, when people may remember there was another little bit of a spike and I managed to catch it for the first time. I was actually there for the session on Friday with all the back and forth and getting the sound, which was probably a good thing. But I tested positive over the weekend, and happily, Sadie's wonderful engineer, Bill Malone, was able to literally live stream the session to me. So I ran the rest of the sessions. We started on a Friday, and then we recorded through most of the next week. So I ran the rest of those sessions literally from my basement, absolutely hearing what you were doing in real time and able to use the talkback system in real time as well to give my comments on the takes. So kudos to Bill for making that work. It gives me shivers when I think of how close we came to that not working. Well, it was very touchy. As I recall, one of the singers actually had to sit in the hall and mark during the rehearsals because he was still in his quarantine period right right. up to the night of the first recording session. Don't remind me. (laughs) Yeah, it was like walking between the raindrops trying to put the thing together. Yep. Happily, it all worked out. Well, speaking of miracles, let's move on to the second section of the album, which is the one devoted to the candles, which, of course, we use to mark the miracle of Hanukkah, the menorah. And there are three songs in this section. There's the traditional first song, O ihr kleine Lichterlecht, O you little candle, and that's a Mark Zuckerman arrangement. Then there is Gerald Cohen's very beautiful Hanukkah lights, which we will hear in a moment. And then it ends with another Robert Applebaum piece, uh, this one, Hanerot Halelu, Those Lights We Light. Uh, What would you like to say about these songs as a section and individually before we key in on the Gerald Cohen piece? So you're right that they're all about candles, and even so, emotionally, they're in quite different worlds. O ihr kleine Lichtlech has remembrance of pain and longing built into it. It's slow, it's chromatic, it has these long, long phrases, and there's a real sense of yearning and unconsummated longing that pervades the whole thing. Hanukkah lights, that's the sit around the family table one. It's atmospheric and just feels very, very warm and timeless. A few moments out of your harried day, which I think is the idea of just watching the candles burn, that you're not getting anything done, you're just being there together. Uses time signatures in an interesting way. It's not a sense of regular pulse, but a sense of floating and continuing on, which is quite magical. The first setting, the Mark Zuckerman, I would say is the most traditional. And the third one in the group, the Applebaum, I would call another mashup, like his Mm Ohanaka. But in between, this Cohen, I would say, is just truly incandescent. Mm, mm -hmm. So, and short enough that I think we can hear the whole thing. And as you listen to this, bear in mind, a lot of these parts are literally one singer on a part. Wow. Well, it is very beautiful. So here is Gerald Cohen's Hanukkah Lights, as sung by Chicago Acapella on their new Sadie Records album.
You just heard Gerald Cohen's beautiful setting, Hanukkah Lights, as sung by Chicago a cappella on their new Sadie Records album, Miracle of Miracles, Music for Hanukkah. It is the October 2023 release on Sadie Records, and the artistic director of Chicago a cappella, John William Trotter, is my guest on this Classical Chicago podcast. We'll move to the third section of the album, as it were, which is three settings of the same text, Al Hanisim, for the miracles. And this text is specifically about the miracles of Hanukkah itself. There are three settings. And before we listen to an excerpt from one of them, how would you compare and contrast these, John? I was really glad to get to do three because it's a great chance for people who may not spend all day thinking about the composition and arranging and uh, text setting to just see how the text is both a centering aspect to create the artwork and also just the starting place. The imagination of the composer with all of their own history and all their own predilections and their own desire to explore can take people in completely different directions, even while they really do value the very, very same text. So the first one has these waves, what we call hairpins in music, that ebb and flow, big dynamic contrasts. The second one is, I guess I would say, lighter, groovier, jazzier, more rhythmic. And the third one is expansive and very respectful, but also quite grand in the way that it orchestrates the voices almost like an orchestra itself. Well, these are tracks six through eight on the album. The first version of Al Hanisim is an arrangement of the traditional song by Elliot Z. Levine. In some ways, I guess if I had to pick one piece to just encapsulate the sound of this album, it might actually be this one because mm. you really get a feeling of the holiday from this. Mm-hmm. The second one, the Applebaum, is the one that really swings, and that's the one we'll hear an excerpt from in a moment. And then the third one, unlike the first two, is actually not an arrangement of the traditional song, but it's actually an original composition based on the same text, and I would say has a more devotional sound to it. Exactly. Well said. Well, let's have some fun and hear a section. This is about the first half of the setting of Al Hanisim for the Miracles by our friend Robert Applebaum.
You just heard Robert Applebaum's setting of the traditional Al Hanisim for the Miracles, sung by Chicago a cappella from their new album, Miracle of Miracles, music for Hanukkah. And if you like what you're hearing, you can obtain this album at the Sadie Records website, C-E-D-I-L-L-E records.org, or from any of your favorite retailers, whether it's Archive Music or Amazon.com, or others. The album's official release date is October 13, so at that point any pre-orders would ship, but you can pre-order well ahead of that. And that's also October 13, the date the album will become available for listening on all the streaming sites, whether it's Apple Music or Spotify or any of the higher-end sites with the high-definition audio. Uh, We make our albums available for consumption in, in all formats. So I definitely hope you'll want to check it out as once you hear all these excerpts. Well, the next set from the album, while it is true that Hanukkah is more a feast than religious observance, there are, of course, additions to the liturgy for Hanukkah, and it is celebrated in service as well. And this next section is really the religious observance section, and it involves three pieces, one in four movements from a piece called Hallel Cantata by Daniel Tunkel. That's followed by another Applebaum arrangement, the Maut Zur, better known as Rock of Ages. And then finally, another Elliot Z. Levine, Love Hail, Not by Might, which is one we'll hear an excerpt from. But first, let's talk about the first two. Can you talk about what this Halal Cantata, which is based on Halal Psalms, is about, as well as the Applebaum arrangement of Rock of Ages. Sure. So I, I noticed you just did a, very cleverly an advertisement <laughs> to buy this thing. The reason you should go and buy this album is because half the music on it is simply not recorded anywhere else, including this uh, cantata, four movements of which are on this CD. <laughs> it's either this CD or nothing. So go ahead and buy it right now while you're hearing us talk. This is a collection, as you just said, of four psalms, very different textures, one to another, obviously very thoughtfully put together, and a lot of rhythmic drive behind it. And I will say also a whole lot of words for the singers to learn that come one after the other. Jonathan Miller as our cultural and language coach for this project, and this piece took some work, I will say. Well, thank you for mentioning the world premieres. In fact, this album has seven world premieres out of the 18 pieces that were created specifically for this album, and that's counting the four movements of Halal Cantata as one piece, of course. So that is followed by the Applebaum arrangement of Rock of Ages, essentially. And this one is not so swingy as the others. How would you describe uh, what Applebaum does with this piece? This is the piece we use to open the live show. It starts with a tenor what you would call in the Latin tradition an incipit. It's a solo chant-like section, which is answered by the men as a group before we then fold into the mixed choir, broader texture. Definitely all of it has a very sacred feel. It does open the basket. It opens the topic of things to be thankful for and gathers the community all at once. Well, the last piece in this section takes its text from Zechariah, and the Hebrew text translates to Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And Philip Bowman in his notes points out that the miracle of Hanukkah was not one through force, but rather through the far greater sustenance of spirit and the conviction of belief. Philip refers to its transcendent spirit, and I think that's exactly right. This piece really makes you feel that conviction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a piece and a sentiment that I could talk about for a long time. Many of us who are on this project are not Jewish, 
but the heritage of the whole Abrahamic view that truth and faith are bigger than naked power, despite whatever the tyrant of the age may say, is a critical part of human heritage. That is to say, a whole lot of people, whether they think about it on a daily basis or not, would be able to trace their heritage back to this idea from Abraham that truth and faith are on the side of right. And not every tyrant is going to be friendly to that idea, but you will be seen through if you hold fast. Well, let's hear that then. Here's about the first two-thirds of the piece, Lov Chail, by Elliot Levine, as performed by Chicago a cappella. You just heard an excerpt of Elliot Levine's Love Chail, Not By Might, as sung by Chicago a cappella on their new album for CD Records, Miracle of Miracles, Music for Hanukkah. Well, now we move on to the food and games section of the album. And the food, of course, is the traditional potato pancakes known as latkes. And the game, of course, is dreidel. Let's talk first about the food. So it's a very short piece by Vladimir Heifetz as arranged by Zuckerman, titled Fire, Fire, which is Yiddish for fire, fire. And you can really feel the oil spitting right out of the pan on this one, can't you? Yes, you can. It's an energetic piece. It's short on the recording. It's not short on the page because there are so many notes that go by at light speed. It's a virtuosic one. And yet it does clock in, at least on the recording, under one minute. That's right, yes. And of course, you used this as the encore. Yes, we did. In the concert. It's actually not listed in the concert program. That's right. And it serves that function very well there. There's another example of how things are done differently in the concert than on the album. 
Well, the next two songs are about the traditional game of Hanukkah, the dreidel that you spin. And in this case, neither arrangement, whether it's Mikhail Gelbart's I Am a Little Dreidel, Ich bin a kleiner dreidel, and Robert Applebaum's arrangement of Samuel E. Goldfarb's version titled Funky Dreidel, neither is completely traditional. The first one is definitely funkier. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. This is one case where there is a fairly extensive repertoire of different treatments of this song. How were these two particularly chosen? The second one really is a more traditional straight-ahead arrangement in the sense that it features the melody. Of course, for the singers, there are these very, very tricky vocal ornaments that surround the thing, but that's for us to worry about. I think for the listener, you can sit back and have the lighthearted surround of the very obvious forward melody. We proceed that on the album with the Applebaum arrangement of Samuel E. Goldfarb's Funky Dreidel. What would you want to say about this piece before people get to hear it for themselves? This is a masterpiece and also does let us feature some pretty unusual abilities that we have within our group. And I'd say it uh, might be the swingiest of all the pieces on the album. And we'll hear from the heart of it. This is where things really get going in the middle of the song. I hope you enjoy this version of Funky Dreidel, piece by Samuel E. Goldfarb is arranged by Applebaum as sung by Chicago a cappella. really fun piece you just heard an excerpt of was titled Funky Dreidel. It's originally by Samuel E. Goldfarb and arranged here by Robert Applebaum and sung by Chicago a cappella on their new Sadie Records album. And that leads us to the last original piece on this album. And this is the one place where the concert version 
of this program and the recording match, because I think in both cases we agreed that former Chicago Acapella Artistic Director Jonathan Miller's Bime Matiahu, there's nothing that can really go after it other than the short encore. <laughs> exactly right. To me, this, with its droning and, and clapping and... It really has almost like the feel of a traditional Jewish wedding. How do you hear it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, and it starts at a much slower tempo than it ends, and it starts with a much simpler texture than it ends. But once you start understanding the direction of things, it sort of takes off exponentially and sweeps you up. This is also the most extensive version of the telling of the Hanukkah story. And Jonathan came to two of our prep rehearsals, and for the second one, he took what we thought was a fairly let loose and somewhat raucous take on this and really added some fun. And by the time he was stomping the floor and standing up and clapping his hands over his head, we began to get the gist of it. And that clapping and stomping worked its way into the recording itself, as you will hear. Here's the section that starts with the clapping and gets more and more raucous as it goes of Jonathan Miller's Bime Matiahu, as sung once again by Chicago a cappella. You just heard an excerpt from Bime Matiahu, piece by Jonathan Miller, celebrating the Hanukkah holiday on an album by Chicago a cappella, celebrating Hanukkah, titled Miracle of Miracles, Music for Hanukkah. It's the October 2023 release for Sadie Records. Release date exactly is October 13, and that's when 
You'll be able to stream it wherever you like to stream your music, whether it's Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, any of the high-definition sites. It'll be there. And that's when your pre-order, if you order in advance, will ship or when you can just order directly from whether it's Amazon.com or Archive Music or, of course, CDRecords.org, C-E-D-I-L-L-E Records.org, the CD Records website. However you like to get or listen to your music, I hope you'll want to check out the whole album, having heard some of those excerpts. But there's actually a little bit more to the album. We have two bonus tracks, which were taken from Chicago Acapella's 2008 album, Christmas Acapella, because that album actually has two Hanukkah songs on it. There is Joshua Jacobson's arrangement of Chaim Parchi's Alei Neri, which is a really glowing candles song. And then it ends with Chicago composer Stacy Garrup's Prayer for Peace, titled Lo Yisagoy, which just felt like the perfect way to end the overall album. Is there anything you would like to say about the inclusion of these tracks? Well, when I see Stacey Garrett's name, it just reminds me that everything is connected. I think she's the only woman composer on this CD, and she also happens to be the chair of the panel of our new initiative called Her Voice, which is a competition and mentorship project worldwide for emerging women composers of a cappella choral music. So what you see here is the thin edge of the wedge that in the season, even since we recorded this thing, has produced a whole lot more music by women for our ensemble. Well, thank you so much for mentioning that, John. So now that people have heard excerpts throughout the album and been told the entire program, what would you want people to take away when they have the chance to hear the program as a whole? Certainly I was, and I expect others will be surprised just at the range the breadth of experiences aesthetically, socially, culturally that are all bound up in this together, and also how welcoming this tradition is. Some of the singers in the group have stories, and I indeed myself do, of tentatively talking with Jewish friends about this project that we're doing and saying, gee, is it okay that we're doing this, even though we don't come by it honestly, so to speak, and just encountering such pleasure and sense of welcome with our interlocutors that this is coming about. There's a lot here for everybody. Chicago Acapella has a pretty strong history of Jewish music of various types over the years, including under its previous artistic directorship of Jonathan Miller. Yeah, that's very true. So many of our singers sing professionally in synagogues around the city on a weekly basis. And during the high holidays, everyone is pretty much booked up solid. So there's a lot of pretty deep experience in the group. Excellent. Well, what is next, John? both for you and for Chicago a cappella in your respective 2023-24 seasons. Right. Well, we're on the precipice of the new season, as you say. And in just a couple of weeks, we have our 30th anniversary gala. I've been in this seat for three years. The previous 27 years are due and down to our founder and entrepreneur extraordinaire, Jonathan Miller. And we're going to celebrate all 30 of those years all at once together with a bunch of our friends. And then we're going to dive into a combination of December, which includes both our holidays show and another live performance of this repertoire. So people will have a chance in River Forest to come out and hear it all live and in person. We'd love to see you there. And then in February, this goes back three years. I mentioned that I was in Cambridge when I started as artistic director. While I was there, I was collecting music. I thought, well, I'm definitely going to do a Cambridge program with Chicago Acapella. And it has taken three years, thanks to COVID, for that to happen. One thing about doing music in Cambridge is you have these mind-bogglingly transcendent choral experiences followed almost immediately by drinking. 
So you're usually drinking wine or on Sunday morning, sparkling white wine or champagne or drinking port in the evening after an even song or a Compline service or just heading over half a block away to the pub for beer. So we're doing on February the 1st a drink and sing event for those who would prefer to have beverages with their choral music. Join us on Thursday, February 1 at 7.30 p.m. at Revolution Brewing for our inaugural drink and sing event. Anything for you independently of Chicago Acapella? I'm doing a little project. It's a tour of a semi-stage interdisciplinary setting of Handel's Messiah, which will be touring out to Philadelphia and D.C. in March, and then on the Wheaton College Artist Series uh, later on, also in March. So yeah, there are a few things going on. And finally, we always end these podcasts with a question about Chicago as a musical city. So for you, John, what makes Chicago special as a city specifically for choral music? I would say critical mass. When you look through musical history, you find times where music just bubbles up in a really special way that manages to make significant contributions to human culture at large. And there's something to do with resources and something to do with personnel and something to do with inspiration and something to do with probably good fortune. And we just happen to have critical mass of organizations here which employ professional musicians, which make it possible for a person who's really crazy serious about ensemble singing to move here and make a living. And that has made it possible for us to have an unbelievably deep and broad talent pool, which lets us dream big and then go ahead and do it. Oh, that's terrific. The roster for Chicago a cappella, the singers, where do they come from in terms of other ensembles in the city? Yeah, people who know the Chicago scene will recognize some of these names. If you go to Grant Park Orchestra and lay down on the lawn and hear soloists, you'll often see these singers' names there. Lyric Opera, CSO, Music of the Broke, any of the churches that have professional ensembles, the synagogues around town. This is the creme de la creme. We hold auditions pretty regularly. When folks come to town and this is their jam, we meet them pretty soon after. Thank you so much for being my guest on this podcast. Again, my guest is John William Trotter, the artistic director of Chicago a Cappella, who led them in preparations and recording sessions for their new Sadie Records album, Miracle of Miracles, Music for Hanukkah. I'm Jim Ginsberg. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>